that you would uh, help us to really be God-focused. And this message, Lord, uh, is really designed to train our thoughts on you. And may it, uh, in your hand, Lord, be uh, a tool to help us, Father, be, to be God-focused people. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. So we are in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Last week we considered our calling as Christians. And our calling as Christians is to live counterculturally to the world. Verse 9 tells us, not returning evil for evil or reviling for revival, but on the reviling, but on the uh, contrary part, blessing, blessing. If you want to inherit a blessing from God, then don't return evil for evil. Be like he is. Be like Jesus was. Be somebody who is uh, different, so different, that you are actually surprising in the way that you respond to people. You respond in a loving way. You respond in a humble way towards them. That's quite contrary to the way that uh, we want to respond. I understand that. I'm the same way that you are. You know, when someone uh, insults me, I want to insult them back. That's me. God doesn't like me when I'm like that. Okay? That's not the way I'm supposed to be. That's not what I've been saved to. I've been saved to be like Jesus and not like Paul Hennebury. And so have you. You're not, you've not been saved, uh, saved to be like Paul Hennebury either, but you've not been saved to be like you. Because you're not much better than I am. Well, he goes on from that in the next section, verses 13 through 17, and puts it to practical use. Peter is a book about suffering and dealing with suffering, dealing with persecution, dealing with uh, people saying things against you. And certainly we're entering into days, we've been in those days, but we're entering more and more into those days where people will uh, dislike us, misunderstand us, uh, say things against us because we're Christians. In his book, uh, Live Not By Lies, Rod Dreher uh, speaks about this Of course, all through there, he believes that persecution is coming. And so it's kind of a manual for that. It doesn't make easy reading, but it's it's helpful, I think, to to wake people up a little bit. But uh, he speaks about um, today. And he says, the Western world has become post-Christian with large numbers of those born after 1980 rejecting religious faith. This means that they will not only oppose Christians when, they stand up for the, when we stand up for our principles, in particular in defense of the traditional family, 
of male and female gender roles and of the sanctity of human life. But also, they will not even understand why they should tolerate dissent based in religious belief. See, we would be the dissenters today. We would be the unreasonable people today. And uh, so this message, I think, is, uh, is apropos. I don't want to be a doomsday, you know, sayer. We've just been studying the book of Revelation in the, the Sunday Bible study. We're in chapter 14. We've just come out of the Antichrist chapter in chapter 13. It's not very, you know, I mean, it's not very happy kind of reading. It's, it's interesting and it's helpful because it's prophetic. But, uh, you know, there the believers in Revelation 14, they, uh, they are told that they have to be ready, for example, for death. Chapter 14 and verse 13 of the book of Revelation says this, Then I heard the voice of, a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Well, hold on a minute. If they're dead, then they don't, we won't be dying, will they, from now on? What does he mean by that? Well, it means that they've got to, they've got to realize that in a sense they're walking dead people. Okay? People are coming from, for them. They have to have that sense of reality. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They have to have this sense of condemnation over them, expectation of death. Now, I'm not saying that that's us now, it's not. We still, uh, have a lot more freedom than many peoples in the world. But things are, the noose is tightening, folks. The noose is tightening. And uh, many people are, are deceived today, thinking that what they're being told, in, you know, in the mainstream news media and so on, that that's the truth. And anything that doesn't line up with the truth, that's just a lie. Folks, we are living in... Uh, the times of Pravda and Izvestia. Pravda and Izvestia, Izvestia were the newspaper outlets of the Soviet Union. Okay? They told people what to believe, and many people believed it. And the people that didn't believe that line, they were the people that were enemies of the state, okay? We're getting closer and closer towards that, folks. You need to be aware of it. Um, as just as an example of that, you know, the, uh, the former head of the CDC is now on the board of Pfizer. So the guy who introduced the vaccines, okay, and said they were okay, he's now on the board of Pfizer, folks. That's how corrupt our government is. Okay? This is not a political thing. I'm just saying, it doesn't matter whether, Democrat or Republican, folks. Okay? There is corruption all the way through. And as Christians, we've got to put our head up and we've got to see God. Do you see? We've got to see God. And we've got to see Him clearly. All right.
That's my rousing introduction. Peter here in verses 13 and 14 speaks about suffering for righteousness sake and suffering, you know, if you've done something wrong. Uh, a way to avoid suffering for, uh, do, for wrongdoing is what? Don't do wrong, okay? So we can deal with that one pretty quickly. If you do wrong, okay, then you expect the consequences. So don't do wrong. Okay, if you break the speed limit, or if you, like me, the uh, about a month ago, I was driving without a, a front light in my car, I got pulled over. Okay, well, if I'd have got a ticket, I didn't. I ended up talking about soccer with the uh, the uh, policeman. But if he'd have given me a ticket, like it's it, it's my fault. Yes, I do wrong. I expect the results of that. And that's the same in, in all walks of life. But what about if you do right? Uh, you see, that's the thing, isn't it? If you do right, then you're supposed to get uh, the benefits of doing right. And yes, even in a culture that will persecute, right, doing the right thing, being a good citizen, being a, a peacemaker, does have good results. So Peter says, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now, if you're going to be a follower, or the word can also be translated imitator, of what is good, you've got to know what is good. And in order to know what is good, you need to have your head in the Bible, folks. You need to have your head in the Word of God because society is not going to tell you what is good. Oh, they'll have things that they think is good. They think it's good to give gender assignment surgery to minors today. They think that's good. They think it's good to give this vaccine to babies and young kids. There's absolutely no need for it. They think all kinds of things are good, that a person, a a young uh, person can uh, choose their pronouns. I'm an it person, an it, they, whatever. Okay, they think that's okay and that's good. It's not. It's wicked. It's wicked. Not only is it wicked because it's a crime against the English language, but it's wicked because they grow up with no concrete foundation of identity. Identity is something that can be switched. Whether you're a boy having girls' feelings or girls having, a girl having boy feelings, you're still a girl or a boy who has those feelings, okay? But if you're told that you're not a girl or a boy, you're, that's all fluid, then what are you? I tell you what you are. In the future, you're a manic depressive. That's what you are. In, on drugs. 
So we need to know what's good. We need to be able to identify it. And that's why I said what I just said there. Because the world has its own definition of good and we cannot agree with it. So we are to be followers of what is good. Now, what is good obviously connects with what was said before. Don't return evil for evil. Be a blessing to people. Okay? Be humble. Be compassionate. Be tender-hearted and courteous. Like it says in verse 8. That is what being good is. That is what being Christ-like is. Looking out for one another. Not looking out for number one. Remember, love God first. Love who next? Others, not you. You don't come into the scenario. If you love God first and you love others next, you don't need to worry about you. You say, what about loving me? Don't worry about loving you. If you've got those two in place, you'll be fine. So be that kind of a good person. And you'll find that many people, most people, will leave you alone because they don't want to be the kind of people who, uh, who attack a good person. They don't want that on their conscience. But there are people that will. But certainly, if you're a person that keeps muckraking, if you're a person that uh, is not a good person, in the sense that Christ was a good person, then they've got it, and they have something against you, don't be surprised if they come after you. You've given them reasons already. You've given them reasons to come after you. And so Peter says here, if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, Righteousness sake, do you see? Because you're being good. You are blessed. There's always this connection between what happens on earth and what happens in heaven, the response in heaven. Don't think that you're isolated down here as a believer. Don't think that you're on your own and God's just having a great time and all the saints are having a great time up there and, uh, you know, you're just left to kind of struggle through this life. God is looking for how you respond to the difficult situations that you are placed in. And God will bless you. He will smile upon you. He will reward you if you have tried to be like him in that situation, because then you've represented him. You've represented truth. You've represented the creator's way in the world. So you are blessed. And again, in the book of Revelation, uh, it talks about those people who finally have arrived through persecution. They've arrived in heaven and they themselves are confessing to God that they indeed are blessed. <clears throat> it says, 
chapter 15. I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass having harps of gold and they sing the song of Moses and the servant of the Lamb the song of the Lamb saying great and marvelous are your works Lord God Almighty just and true are your ways O King of the saints who shall not fear you O Lord and glorify your name For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. It's good to know that when we get to the other side of things, we will see the goodness of God in his rewards to us. The goodness of God in where we've stepped foot. This eternal realm, this glorious, sinless realm, a realm that we can barely imagine here because, you know, we are suffused all around us by sin and inside us we have problems with sin. But there, so much different. It doesn't get to taint anything out there or inside. It's a realm of peace. It's a realm of joy. And that peace and that joy cannot be um, grabbed and buried by sin. And all of sins, um, all, all the things that sin brings with it. So you are blessed. Know that. If you live as a Christian, you live for the truth in this world, you're blessed. The world's going to go its way. The world's going to have its values. It's going to put value on things that you shouldn't put value on. And But all of them will be temporal. All of them will rust. All of them will decay. You place value on good character, godly character, representing God in this world. If you're going to suffer, suffer for righteousness' sake. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Okay, well, you know, who's making the threat? I mean, if they're big enough, if they are, if they can take away your finances. Yeah, the truckers in Canada. Yeah, that was a peaceful protest, folks. It was a peaceful protest, but they, got into their bank accounts. Okay? They got into their bank accounts. The government did. Do not be afraid of their threats. This is where faith in God really is important. Do you see? This is where... A God who can take care of you. A God who is there is important. So suffering, yes, sometimes for even doing the right thing. But you've got to have a good conscience, folks. You've got to have a good conscience. Verses 16 and 17 say, Having a good conscience... That when they defame you as evildoers, 
you're doing good, remember, but they're defaming you as evildoers, those who revile you for good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Now, they'll be ashamed in two ways. First of all, they'll know that what they're saying is untrue. They'll know that what they're saying is untrue because of your character, because of your good. Many people who condemned Jesus, they knew he was a just man. You say, well, that didn't help him very much because he was still condemned. Yes, but remember, he, knew, he had a perspective, the perspective of the plan of God, the perspective of salvation, the perspective of the joy that was set before him that made it all worthwhile. And we have to have some kind of similar perspective also. Again, this is the doormat, the house that we enter into, the real place where we'll forget the doormat. That's ahead of us. That's the next life. So we have to have a good conscience because verse 17 tells us it is, tells us it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you're doing good and you're suffering, there's reason to rejoice because you're earning rewards. You're pleasing God. You're showing your faithfulness. You're being a light. Satan hates you. And your conscience is clear. If you're doing evil, your conscience isn't clear, is it? If you're doing wrong, your conscience isn't clear. So do good and your conscience will be clear. Don't capitulate to the lies of the world. Don't compromise your faith. This idea of having a good conscience, it is so important. It is so important. Folks, don't defile your conscience. You know, Paul, when he was before Agrippa, he said, I always make it my business before God and man to have a good conscience before both. Do you have a good conscience before God? Do you have a good conscience before man? Or are there things in your life that you're doing that you, that bother you? They concern you. You know you shouldn't be doing. Do you have this battle with your conscience all the time? And, you know, what happens when you have that battle with your conscience is that sooner or later your sin nature will muffle it. It will stop conscience from having that effect on you. You don't want to be in that situation as a Christian. You want to have a conscience that's clear. It says these people will be ashamed because they've reviled your good conduct. Ashamed, yes, 
as I said, because they know that, that you don't deserve that treatment and the shame before God also when they stand before him, having mistreated you. But if you've done evil, if you've done good, if your conscience isn't, isn't uh, clear, then their shame will not be as great. And you will have shame when you stand before Christ because you have not represented the truth. You've not represented him properly. This is a word to me. It's a word to all of us. Let's make sure we have a clean conscience. And if that means that we have to make a decision to suffer, to not have as much, to not take that promotion or not take that way that's opened up for us, then so be it. We've got to take that decision. We've got to make that decision for God. These are eternal things that are on the line here. Suffering is not a meaningless thing if it's suffering for righteousness' sake. It will always be rewarded by God and it will always produce fruit down here. So, suffering for doing right. Suffering but having a good conscience. And then there's this uh, verse in the middle, verse 15, which is very often used It's been used by me too as the great apologetics text. Now, apologetics is the defense of the Christian faith. Okay? Apologia is just the Greek word for giving a defense of oneself. Okay? So Socrates, before he drank the hemlock, he was allowed to give a defense of why he had corrupted the youth of Athens with his philosophy. Or so it was thought. Christians are to know how to give an answer to those who ask them for why they believe what they believe. Here, this verse is placed back in its context, and the context is suffering. Here's the verse. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It's a great verse. And I could go off in a a very long rabbit trail here which I'm not going to go down, don't worry. But I could do, I could go off here speaking about the the amount of Christian apologists who don't take this verse seriously even when they rip it out of its context. They do their apologetics, their defense of the faith, and I'm not saying they're bad people or anything like this, they're good, godly people, but they forget to sanctify the Lord God in their hearts first. They forget that their apologetics starts with the risen Christ, with the infallibility of the word of God. That's where it starts. We're not arguing to God. We're not arguing to his existence. 
as if he's some kind of thesis. As if his existence is somehow uh, less sure, less certain than anything else that we can see or hear in the world. Folks, Romans chapter 1 says that everybody knows God exists. Oh, they, they, they subdue that truth. They push it down in their sin. But they know God is there. And if we are arguing, if you, we're arguing to the existence of God, we are, as it were, saying it's okay to suppress the truth. What you're doing to suppress the truth about God is okay. No, 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 it's not. God exists, folks. He's the God of the Bible. He's the God of reality. He's the God that makes sense of you. It's the God that makes sense of the fact that, you know, the, the other day, uh, so I teach soccer, okay? And um, I used to be a fairly decent soccer player. Now I'm, I, it's in my head. I know what to do, okay? But my body will not do it, Okay? Yes. Yeah, you get it. Exactly. But so I'm, it, we're, we're getting towards the end of the session and we're playing, we're having a scrimmage and there's an incredible sunset. And I'm telling you, all of the kids, these are like under 15s, all of the kids stop playing and they look at the sunset. Okay. What's that? It's an evidence for the existence of God. No, I'm not talking about the sunset and its beauty. I'm talking about the recognition of the sunset. Because as I've said before, if there was a cow in that field, it would look, go moo and wouldn't care less. But we've been created to respond to creation. Do you see? And to voice that back to God. And even unsaved people do that. And so we're not arguing to God, folks. We are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. That's the first thing we're to do. Sanctify him. That means separate him, make him the first thing that we're to do. We don't worship a plausible God as if he's some kind of a theory that's to be proven yet. God exists, that's the greatest fact in the universe. The fact that people can't see that is because they are sinfully stupid. Their sin has made them stupid. But I can't go on about that. I've talked about this before. Okay, I've talked about this this before. If you take God out of the equation, you can't make sense of your life. You can't make sense of anything. You can't make sense of the laws of science, the laws of morality, the laws of logic, number. You can't make sense of anything. None of it makes sense. So we're using the good gifts of God all the time while denying God. Always, Peter says, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason. 
for the hope that's within you. That means they see that you've got hope. You're a person of hope. And you're a person of hope because by faith you really understand and believe that you've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and you are securely going to heaven and to blessedness. And therefore, whatever happens in this world, as I said, it's just the doormat. It's just the doormat. Might be a very nice doormat, but it's, it is the doormat. Sooner or later, the door's going to open and you will step into God's house. Now listen, are you ready? Would you say, are you ready to give a defense of the Christian faith to anyone who asks you? How's your conscience on that one? Can you fully explain to somebody why you have hope? Why do you believe this Christian stuff? Why do you believe the Bible is the word of God? You know, people make all kinds of nonsense up about the Bible. Uh, my son sent me a text the other day about someone said that the Bible's re- uh, uh, written in Hebrew and Latin. Can you read that? And you should know that these are impossible to translate into English. And my son's all confused about it. I said, well, first of all, the New Testament is not written in Latin. It's written in Greek, Koine Greek, for the most part. And yes, Hebrew and Greek are, for the most part, easily translatable into English. English is that kind of a language. I I should know because I slaved away in seminary translating from Hebrew and Greek into English. I didn't like it one bit. But it's doable. So never mind what the world says, are you able to articulate to somebody that I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Even your best way of acting, even your best way of thinking does not qualify you for forgiveness and good standing before God. Because you can't keep it up for very long. You haven't kept it up in the past. And there are plenty of bad deeds, bad thoughts, omitted duties, committed offenses that you have done and will do in the future that are more than enough to God, for God to point to. You may have forgotten about them, but he hasn't. And he will bring them up and condemn you, and you'll condemn yourself. There'll be no argument about it. Did you do this? Yeah. Did you do that? Yes. Did you? Okay. What's the verdict? What we need, folks, what we need is not a one-on-one with God to try and reason with God that he's, you know, we're really good and he ought to let us into heaven. That's not going to work. Okay? This is not Camp David peace talks. This is the creator of the universe who's going, who has his standards and they are not going to budge. 
You need somebody to come in who God will listen to, who will advocate on your behalf. Having taken your punishment and your sins upon himself. There is such a person. There is such a person. And it's not Muhammad. It's not Confucius. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you believe that he died for your sins and he rose for your justification, you have, as a gift of grace, everlasting life and forgiveness. You're right with God. Doesn't mean all your sins are taken away straight away, but as far as God is concerned, in God's sight, you're headed for heaven. You have hope. You should be able to give a reason for that hope to everyone that is in you with meekness and fear. Okay? With meekness and fear because you're doers of that which is good. Meekness is the ability to have your um, emotions and your thoughts under control. Like a war horse, for example. A war horse trained, very powerful, but under the control of the reins, the person that holds the reins, okay? Meekness, it's an ability to take it. It's hard. Okay? Find that one really hard, I do. Okay? But you're supposed to have it. I'm supposed to have it. No excuses. And fear. The fear of God, not the fear of man. The fear of God brings wisdom. The fear of man brings enslavement. So, we are to suffer for what is right. If we indeed we are to suffer, we are to suffer with a good conscience. And we are to suffer being able to give an answer, a defense to those who may ask us of why we believe what we believe. Now I end on verse 18, verse, uh, verse 18, sorry, part A, the first part of verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ suffered. So don't think it's uh, we uh, serve a God who doesn't or hasn't suffered. He suffered. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So we can suffer and be acquainted with grief for a little while too if that is the will of God. You say, this has been a negative message. I didn't come for this one. I came for an uplifting one. Okay? I came to uh, to be edified. Well, if you've been listening properly, if you've been listening in faith, you've been edified. Okay? Some of the Word of God speaks in this way to us because it has to speak reality in a fallen world to us. And so we need the clarity that passages like this bring. I hope that in going out we are prepared a little bit more to 
have a clear conscience, to fear God, to love one another, to not revile when we're reviled, and to be a light for our Lord Jesus Christ in a dark world. Let's pray. So gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, through your Spirit who indwells all of your saints, and by the Word of God, that we would be a good witness for you in the world. We may not have opportunity to speak. We're employed by our employers and we're not part of the, the job description is not to preach the gospel of Jesus. We're aware of that and we respect that. But there must be something about us. There must be a hope. There must be a humility. There must be a kindness, a Christ-likeness about us that people notice. And if that sometimes uh, on our views about reality, if they differ from what the world says, so be it, Lord. Let us stand for the truth at all times because we're standing for you when we stand for it. And we have a clear conscience when we're doing it. Bless us as we go to our separate walks of life this week. Let us meet whatever uh, we come to, Lord, in that spirit, knowing that you are with us. In the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.